How many teachers in the congregation this morning? Raise your hand, teachers. It's okay, you can raise your hand, teachers. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Okay, so how many students in your class um, raise their hand at some point and say this? Is this going to be on the test? And how happy does that make you? That they're asking that this material that you've prepared diligently, that you've gone through hours of preparation, that you're presenting it to them, that in that question, in my mind, is saying, are you just talking for your own good, or is this really something I need to pay attention to? As if what you've done is, is that it's not something that they should pay attention to. Right? But isn't it interesting... I think, that I believe we, we ask that question of each other and of God all the time. Like with your spouse, you know? I'm sure there are times, especially for the men, when they're thinking about this thing that their wife is speaking to them and they're thinking, is this going to be on the test? Is this something I need to retain? <laughs> Do I need to remember this thing? Is this, you know, is this, if I don't remember this, is this going to downgrade me in my, in this relationship? You know, and I'm sure that there are things where, uh, you know, later on, men, you come back and you go, yeah, that was on the test. And I didn't study very well, wasn't paying attention. What's interesting is that in, is also then in, in humanity's relationship with gods or the gods or Yahweh is that there, there's always been this question of how do we relate to God? What is the right way to, to, to be in relationship with God and, and what things are going to make God happy? Now, throughout history, it, it was the gods because most people throughout history had multiple gods for, multiple, for all kinds of things. You had you had a God of the threshold. You had a God of the door. You had a God of the hearth. You had the God of the fire. You've got God of the earth. You've got God of harvest. You've got you know, all these different gods that then you're supposed to appease. And depending on you know, what, um, what culture you come out of, they all have a hierarchy and all this sort of thing. But throughout all of time, up until, well, I'll get to that, throughout most of time, there's been a system of how you appease the God, which is by doing sacrifices of some sort. Oftentimes for the God of the harvest, you would bring in some of the first fruits of, of the harvest and you would, you would offer it to, to, to the God of the harvest on an altar or, or in some way, that just giving thanks. And what that was supposed to do was it was supposed to secure for you a good harvest the next year. That was always the thing. It was sort of this quid pro quo sort of thing. Like, if I do this and I'm really good, then you'll give me what I want. And throughout most of history, what what happened was that if people would do that, and then next year's harvest was horrible, if there were floods or or if there was a drought or, you know, whatever, then then they would go, okay, well, we've got to redouble our efforts. We've 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 got to do twice as much offering next year. And so they might do that. And then, so there's this whole thing that goes back and forth, and they're trying to figure out how do, we, how do we balance the ledger here? How do we make it so the gods are happy, will give us what we want? And I know that all, for all of you, your favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus. 
I know that that is just the case, um, because I know that that's the most well-worn place in your Bibles when I come to your house. I just know that that's, that that's what it is. But what's interesting about Leviticus, which is basically law codes, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's the rules about how you make sacrifices. For the first time in human history that we know of, in the book of Leviticus, God tells the people exactly what sacrifices to offer. No more, no less. I mean, it really is a progression in terms of the relationship between people and God. Because all of a sudden now, the people know, here, here is how we are in right relationship with God when we do these things. And it's very scripted, as you know. I mean, it'll, it'll, it, it's good nighttime reading if you're ready to go to sleep. I mean, because it's just detail after detail after detail after detail about, about what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. And so we sort of get numbed out by it, and we don't maybe understand it because we don't, we don't necessarily live in a sacrificial culture anymore, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but, but it, was a, it was a progression. Because now the people weren't guessing about how to be in right relationship with God. Rob Bell does a great um, talk on this called The Gods Aren't Angry. Um, because I think for most of human history... People thought that, you know, the gods are angry at us, and so we got to figure out how to appease them and make them happy. And we don't really know how to do that. And so, so Leviticus becomes this, this real step forward, in a sense, so people understood how, how, to, how to have this relationship with God. But guess what? What those sacrifices were supposed to be doing was engendering in people, in us, a different relationship with God, but a different relationship with each other. Those sacrifices were supposed to be helping to remind us, human beings, to be grateful for everything that we'd received, to be grateful for the people around us, to treat each other really well. I mean, there's even prescriptives in there about how to treat, you know, the strangers among you, the alien But, like we human beings do, we like to say, okay, well, as long as I do that, just check the box and move on. I don't need to think about it anymore after that. And so throughout, um, in, the, in the Old Testament, the prophets, so much of the time, what the prophets are talking about, like I, like I said, is they're, they're coming and saying, hey, um, Hebrews, wake up. You're doing these sacrifices, you're adhering to the letter of the law, but you're not getting the intent of what this is all about. You're phoning it in, in a sense. I mean, it's, 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 like, it's like that old story about the silver spoon on the, on the altar at an Episcopal church. Anybody ever heard this story? It's a silver slotted spoon, and, and, and they, they, every, every Sunday... The women, the altar guild, and it was all women. They were the only ones that could polish the silver correctly. Would go back and they'd polish the spoon and they'd lay it next to the chalice and the plate, you know, and lay it up there, the slotted spoon. And, and so, so a, a, a woman who joined the church and, and became part of the altar guild. And so, so she's getting trained how to do this and weeks go by and, and she's watching real carefully and the priest never touches the spoon. Doesn't ever touch it. I mean, it never gets tarnished. So, but they shine it up. 
to finally she gets brave and she goes to one of the women and she says, well, why do we do this? And she says, well, I don't know. We've always done it. She says, well, do you know anyone who would know? She says, well, yeah, my mother was the head of the altar guild, you know, before me. And, and so she's in the nursing home. Let's go. We'll go visit her. So the next Sunday they went after church and they visited her. And, and uh, you know, she was in her 90s. And, and so they said, well, so mom, why don't you, you know, this is my friend. And she's part of the altar guild. She was just asking about the spoon. And, 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 the, and the mother goes, well, you know, um, back before the church had air conditioning, we had to open the, in the summertime, we had to open the, the windows. And the flies would come in. And the flies would, would, would go into the wine in the cup. And so the slotted spoon was so the priest could dip the flies out before he had to drink from it. They'd had air conditioning for like 60 years. The spoon had been going beside there. We call that traditionalism, meaning doing a tradition that has no purpose anymore. Traditionalism. Having a tradition means passing on the faith by doing certain things. And so what happened was the prophets would say, hey, listen, you're just, you know, you're just shining up the slotted spoon. This hasn't, you're not, it doesn't, for you anymore, it doesn't have any purpose because it's not going beyond that. You think you're in right relationship with God, but you're not in right relationship with your neighbor. And that's the other big thing. I mean, the, the biblical, if you, if you read the biblical narrative and you just want to take one thing from that, it's to love God and love your neighbor. I mean, that's the, that's the central heart of the entire scripture. And so Micah, this is, you know, if, if you haven't heard this before, you know, um, you haven't been in church for a while. Because this, this Micah text is probably one of the most famous biblical texts outside of John 3.16. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. And yet, it, even though it's so old and we can recite it um, pretty easily because it just flows off the tongue almost like it was used in worship, which it probably was, um, it's hard to do. Because what do we mean by justice? To treat people fairly. What, what is fairness? In, in certain cases. I mean, you know, there, there are some different kinds of justice. There's, there's like communal justice, which is like between members of the community that things are, that, think, that we do things right and fair. If somebody hurts us, then we have some way of, 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 of figuring that out and making that right. Um, there's distributive justice, meaning, meaning um, making sure that everybody has what they need. And then there's social justice, which is a word that gets um, slammed around a lot. But there's social justice, which basically means putting together the systems in our communities for distributive justice so that we can have communal justice. <laughs> and I love those three different categories. It just it helped me really think about what justice might be and, and, and how to begin to think about it. Um, but if it was just justice, then you could, you could just do eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, Right? One for one. Let's make it fair, whatever that is. You know, one for one. But then there's this next thing is to, to love kindness or to love mercy. Wow. And kindness is not being nice. Let's just, let's, let's get that on the table. Kindness is not being nice because sometimes when you're nice, 
you let people just walk all over you. You know, you become sort of a doormat. You're like, oh, well, you know, I'll just be nice. I'm not going to say anything about that. That's not even kindness. <laughs> That's not mercy. I mean, kindness and mercy hold us accountable to justice. They hold us accountable to love. And in a community, especially, then we can, we, we can hold one another accountable and we can call each other to greater acts of mercy and love and justice. And so don't get it in your mind that, that, that mercy is just letting everything go. Sometimes the most merciful thing you can do is to hold somebody accountable in a loving way without condemning them as a person. Because there's often differences, well, I think God thinks, believes there's a difference between an action and a person. And then to walk humbly with God. This is a great... This is a great thing. I think, I think today in the, in the New York Times Magazine, there's an article about humility and how right now, or at least in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, this whole thing about being humbled has become just, if you, if you receive an award, oh, I'm so humbled to receive this award. Oh, I've been humbled by, by being offered this position. Um, we just heard a bunch of, apparently a bunch of, of, of uh, our new president's cabinet picks that have used this language, like almost like it's scripted because it's just sort of gotten into our lexicon that way. It's not, that's not on them. It's just, it's sort of on us, but um, I'm so humbled. I'm so humbled, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. That's the, the sort of the way that we use it is, is, is it's a little twisted from what it really means because humility, at least from a biblical point of view, is remembering that I'm not God. That I don't have the power of Almighty God. That, that I stand in relationship to God in, 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 in this way. And that, and that in some sense, you know, it's, it's like looking at the universe and seeing all of the worlds and, and all of the other universes and all of these other things and realizing, you know, just how teeny tiny we may be. But that that humility can embolden us because we trust God. We trust that God is God and God is going to do the God things that God does. And that then we, as we love God and we respond to God's love, we can love kindness with, out of our humility. We can, we can love mercy. We can seek justice and do justice. That's the one thing I love about this passage, is it's all active language. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. It's all action words. And so Jesus follows in the tradition. I mean, we, every, most, most, well, the, at least the three major religions called Jesus a prophet. Because he's doing the very same thing that the prophets have done, which is Jesus comes and he basically says, wake up, people. God does, you know, God does, at least for the Hebrews, his own people, wake up, people. God does not want your, these silly sacrifices. It's not just about the washing of hands and how you do that. That was supposed to lead you into a right relationship with God. That was supposed to remind you to be humble and to, and to, and to do justice to love kindness, but it's not. You're just, you're just phoning it in. I mean, his whole preaching and everything is a protest 
against the way that we operate in the world most of the time. Which is, we do what's good for us, and to heck with everybody else. And we'll even try to convince God of that by being really pious and and lovely and wonderful and going to church and saying our prayers and doing that and then going out and being jerks the rest of the time. And so Jesus comes as a protest to the powers that be that don't do justice, that don't love kindness, that don't walk humbly. I mean, the Romans... The Pax Romana, I mean, that was just held with an iron fist. I mean, they just killed people to make sure that nobody got out of hand. I mean, that's not justice. <laughs> At least not by a biblical standard, not by the way that we would, not by the way that we would do that. And that's, and that's one thing then about, about then later as, as people live into this and they listen to Jesus and Jesus' greatest commandment was what? Love your neighbor or love one another as I have loved you. He reiterated that love God, love your neighbor, and that they both, they, they, they run into each other. And he, he brought that to us again. And guess what? He got killed because of that. Because he stood up against all of that. And he called other people and he, and he said, and he said, and you know, these people that you think are outside of the love of God, these people that you think are, are outside of care and all of that, guess what? They're in. Because they're a value. Because they're holy creatures of God and, and you've got to recognize that. And, and, and Jesus then begins, and depending as you read the scripture, like to open up the door. And then, and then of course, we have Peter, his, his, the first disciple there, to, to, um, to open the door even wider and say, and say, hey, this is for the Gentiles. And then we have Paul who goes out and really blows the doors wide open and just ministers primarily to Gentiles and, and, and begins to say, this is for everybody. Jesus' life and his gospel was really a protest against how we normally operate in the world. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And so it's been interesting this week, hasn't it? I mean, there's been, we've been talking a lot about refugees. And I just encourage you to go to the scripture and look up passages about the alien among you, <laughs> the foreigner among you, and, and what the Bible has to say about that. I don't, I, don't need to, I don't think I need to say much about it. The biblical witness is really, really strong. Now, do we have to, as a country, balance our interests of security? Yes. That's the hardest thing to do, Right? to figure out how do you protect yourself and also do all the things that God would have you do. God never said it was going to be easy to follow him. God didn't say, follow me, and uh, it's just going to be roses and rose petals and a soft bed every night. I mean, Jesus said to Peter, um, you know, when you're following me, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. He said in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you because of your following me. And so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how you've been feeling about all this stuff. And you know me, I'm not, I, I, I don't 
preach politics from the pulpit. I, I, this is not who I am. My job is to, is to hopefully give you a perspective on the gospel and let God work on you through the Spirit. To do what you are called to, how the Holy Spirit leads you, you know, and so if that's marching and that's writing and that's um, doing all those things, if that's reaching out to a neighbor, you know, however loud or however quietly it is for you, then that's, that's what it is. And I, and, I, and I trust God in that because I know that God is working in each one of our lives. But it's easy for us to shut our ears and to just go about the ritual and the tradition like we've done throughout time and to say, well, what's on the test? Let me, ch- let me check the box and move on. And so today, what I want you to know and I want, to want you to remember is that Jesus came for you. Jesus came for me. To call us into a new life. To leave behind the, is this going to be on the test thinking? To become the kind of people who from our very being do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. And we're not going to get it right all the time. But God draws us back in when we wander off the path. God draws us back in and welcomes us back on that path to become fully the people that God has made us to be. And so I hope, I hope that that what's going on in the world does trouble you, does weigh on you, because that means that you're taking your life in Christ seriously and what it might mean for you to be the person that God is calling you to be. And so this week, meditate on that, those phrases. Talk with your children about it. Talk with your friends about it. What does that mean for you in your life? And what can you do to be a person who does justice, who loves kindness, and who walks humbly with God? This world needs gospel people more than ever. Amen.